Julie, evening everyone. And uh, Colossians, keep it open, page 1182. It's going to disappear from the screen any minute now as uh, we switch to the, the computer at the front. And tonight we're, we're focusing on the one who is rightfully at the centre of all of our worship. The very reason why we worship, we're focusing on Jesus Christ, the one who's risen, who's exalted, who's reigning with the Father. And the, the short passage that we've got tonight, the few verses that we have, were probably an ancient hymn or maybe an ancient creed, widely known again, probably in the early church, maybe even penned by the church in Colossae itself, or perhaps some suggest that Paul the Apostle could have written it, but it would have been some, the way that it's written, you don't quite get it in the, uh, in the way that our Bibles are set out, but the way it was, is written as a, as a poem or a hymn or a creed, and so probably would have been memorized, recited, sung. And it's a hymn about Jesus. It's about his role in creation, in salvation, looking forward to what happens at the end of all things when Jesus sums them up. And it's a picture of the cosmic Christ encompassing absolutely everything in heaven and on earth. And this hymn really shows us the heart of true worship with Jesus at the centre. And it's worship is for Jesus and worship is about Jesus. And if they had uh, posters Back in the day, I think that probably the Colossian church on their front door would have had something a little bit like that. Oh, it's gone too far. Press too many buttons. There it is. Keep calm and worship Jesus. That's what we're focusing on tonight. And this hymn is, there's a few things it's not focused on. It's not focused on the church's experience of Jesus. It's not focused on how Jesus makes them feel. It's not even focused on how much they love Jesus, but it's focused on Jesus himself. There are 14 references to Jesus in these six verses, and none at all to the Colossians, or therefore to us. Now that's not to say that we can't ever sing of our experiences of Jesus, or how we love Jesus, and we've been singing some of that this evening. And one of the gifts that the the charismatic church has given to the wider church is that rediscovery of a focus on intimacy and worship, that as we worship, God draws near to us. As we recognize Jesus, as we give Jesus the glory, so he comes and meets with us, and he restores us and heals us and builds us up and empowers us, and we're changed, and we've looked at some of that over the last few weeks. But worship itself mustn't start with us. It's got to start with Jesus, and it has to finish with Jesus. So the reading that Julie read at the beginning, the Apostle John, when he saw the risen Christ, Jesus said he's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. It all starts with him and it all ends with him. And if we focus on our own experiences, then we may be able to whip up a little bit of emotion in church, but it's going to have no lasting effect at all. If we focus on Jesus, though, if we give Jesus the glory, then our eyes are going to be opened and our hearts warmed, and we meet with him, and we're changed. So what does Colossians say about Jesus? Why is he so worthy of our worship? And I want to look at three things that Paul picks up on when he writes to the church in Colossae. And the first is, 
why should we worship Jesus? Is that Jesus reveals God to us. So verse, seven, verse 15 says that uh, he reveals God as being, by being the image of the invisible God. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the exact representation of his being, as it says in Hebrews. But he's not just any old image. If you go on and look at verse 19, Paul says that God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Jesus. So Jesus reveals God to us fully and completely. If you want to know what God is like, at the very core of his being, no holds barred, nothing held back, then look no further than Jesus. Because in Jesus, there's no aspect of God that is hidden from us. There's no aspect of God that's known only to Father, Son, and the Spirit. That's amazing, isn't it? So we can know as much of God as God himself knows of God in Jesus. It kind of blows your mind, doesn't it? There's no public face of God that we can know, and then the private kind of backroom bit of God that only he knows. God has fully revealed himself to us in Jesus. Full self-disclosure. Completely and utterly. And then if Jesus fully reveals God to us, then there's, there's no sense, I don't know, you've, you may have heard it, I've certainly heard it often that people say, I struggle with the God of the Old Testament. He seems, you know, he's called Yahweh, and he just seems a little bit vindictive, seems a little bit mean. Uh, so I love it when we get to the New Testament, and uh, Jesus is there, and he's kind of a bit more palatable. You've got that warm, cuddly face of God, if you like. Uh, he's forgiving. It's great when we get to the New Testament, because then God forgives that makes absolutely no sense at all, does it, if Jesus fully reveals God to us. Because God, whether Old Testament or whether New Testament, God never, ever changes. And if you look through the Old Testament, then you see that God is a God of love. God is a God of forgiveness. God is a God who's always reaching out to his people. He doesn't change the minute that he sends his son to the earth. God has always been like that. What happens is that God fully reveals what he's like when he sends Jesus to us. And what is this unchanging God like? The God who's revealed himself to the world in Jesus is first and foremost a God of self-giving love. That is the character of God from eternity. The God who gives himself to us in love. God the Father has been always loving God the Son, and God the Son has always been loving God the Father. Long before the world was created, God is first and foremost love. They've been loving and giving and blessing each other since before the creation of the world. So it's the most natural thing in the world for them to look outwards and share that love and their life and their blessing with us to turn it outward so that it can overflow. They're simply doing what they've always been doing from before the creation of the world. And what we see here in Colossians gives us that mind-blowing picture of how God shares his love and his life with the world through Jesus. And as we consider Jesus here, we get right to the very heart of God. Here we're looking into the heart of God. We're looking at his character we're looking at what defines him. We're looking at his essence. This is our God that we see in these verses. And so, secondly, 
one of the things that Jesus does that Paul picks up on here. In the first three verses, 15 to 17, is that Jesus shares God's love and his life with us through creation. Some of you may recognize that picture, and I'll come to that a little bit later. And first, Jesus, Jesus is able to share God's love and his life in creation, because in verse 15 it says he's the firstborn over all creation. Now, some sects, Jehovah's Witnesses in particular, get all confused by this verse and say he's the firstborn over creation. That means he was somehow created by God. And that's not what it means at all. Paul means it in the sense that he's prior to creation. He comes before all things, as it says in verse 17, the one who's at the very head of creation. Because if you look on next, verse 16, it's clear that by Jesus all things were created. Everything Paul says, on heaven, on the earth, visible, invisible, thrones, powers, rulers, authorities, absolutely everything that has ever been created was created by Jesus. Out of love, out of that sense of wanting to share the love and the life, the thing that they, the Father, Son and Spirit had, have always had. They wanted to look outwards and share that. And I remember when I was at university, a friend once asked me, why, God, why on earth did God create the universe? He didn't have to. Why did he do it? And, and I wasn't entirely sure. I didn't have a particularly neat answer. I'm not sure if I still do today. But I said to him that because of what God was like, because he enjoyed giving love and, and life and blessing, and he almost couldn't help himself in creating the world. He, he, it was kind of just happened, it overflowed, uh, in order to share his love with others. And the response that came back to me was that, Martin, that is, that is such a hippie thing to say. And uh, at the time, I, I had a beard and longer hair. Uh, and it was quite a hippie thing to say, but actually, do you know what? It's not too far from the truth, is it? That God chose to create the world through Jesus so he could share his love with us. He didn't have to, but it's in his very nature to love and give and to share so that God chose to do that through Jesus so that he could share his love with us. And the ancient writers, uh, Christian writers, often used to compare God with a fountain. That sense of a fountain, uh, one of the ones certainly that's working, that's turned on, that bursts out with life, overflowing, bringing life. And that sense that in the creation, the fountain of love that was God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit brimmed over to share his love with us all. And then Colossians goes on as Paul paints this picture that Jesus is before all things. Through him, all things were created. But he didn't just create all things. Actually, in him, everything holds together. And if you removed Jesus from the universe, which you couldn't, by the way, but if you wanted to, if you tried to, if you succeeded in removing Jesus from the universe it would quite literally explode. Inwardly, outwardly, implode, perhaps. Because the only reason it holds together is because of Jesus. In his love, he wills that it holds together. He sustains all things. It holds together in him. And one of the great quests in physics... Is, is the so-called unifying theory of everything. And, that, and that's the search for the formula that holds everything together, from Einstein to Newton, quantum mechanics, and everything else. And the answer, as in so many of these things, whatever the question, the answer to the unifying theory of everything is, 
Jesus. Jesus holds the whole universe together. He's at the center of the universe, the ones who holds it all together in love. Now, can anyone tell me what that is a picture of? Does anyone know? A what? Laminum. It might be. I'm not sure what a laminum is, but a good guess. It could be a laminum. That's not the answer I'm looking for. Could be a cloud. Back and back and back. Any advance on a, on a laminum, a cloud, on a thing you look back and back and back? Getting close. Yeah, great. So we're getting there. The Hubble telescope took this photograph in 2005, and it's a galaxy. It's called the Whirlpool Galaxy. And it's 31 million light years away. And the folk, particularly Christians, were pretty excited when they found this, when the photo came back, because it just gives a lovely picture, doesn't it? Now, no one knew that that existed until 2005, but 31 million light years away at the centre of the Whirlpool Galaxy is a cross. That's phenomenal, isn't it? How creative our God is. So when you go out of church tonight, when you look up, you won't be able to see it, obviously, but the reason, (laughs) unless you've got incredible eyesight, the reason that all of this is up there, the reason that the universe is there in all its glory and all its creativity is because God loves and God gives and God creates and all through Jesus, and Jesus is at the center of it all and holds it all together. And then all things are created for Jesus, not just by him, but for him. He's the goal of creation. Creation is the Father's gift to the Son, and it will one day be all summed up in him. And Paul picks up this when he writes to the church in Ephesus as well, in Ephesians 1 verse 10. It talks, if you want to look it up or scribble it down, talks about all history being linear, that it's all heading in one clear direction. The end game of history, when the times will have reached their fulfillment, is that all things in heaven and on earth will be brought together under Jesus as the head. Author, sustainer, goal of all creation. He'll fill everything in every way. This is the one that we worship. The one who's before creation. The one who created all things. The one who holds everything together. The very goal of human history. And there's, there's a story told of Michelangelo who was once asked by his most famous pupil, Raphael, to comment on a portrait of Jesus that he was painting. And Raphael was out to lunch. I don't think that's euphemistic. I think he was actually out at lunch. And uh, whilst he was out, Michelangelo went over to his studio to have a look at this picture that he was painting of Jesus. And uh, whilst he was out at lunch, Michelangelo took a brush and painted over the whole portrait. And he painted one word... And this is a Latin word, and it was amplius. And this, by this, Michelangelo meant that Raphael must make Jesus larger, bigger, bolder, more prominent, outstanding. Because Raphael's Jesus was far too small. And I wonder if it's the same for us. I remember a friend who was telling me he was praying about this very thing. He had a box, he put God in a box. And uh, someone was praying with him and encouraging him to take God out of the box. And so my friend was praying. He said, Lord, I'm so sorry for putting you in a box. 
I take you out of your box. And Lord, I put you in a bigger box. And this guy who was praying with him said, how about we get rid of the box altogether? He said, yeah, good idea. Let's get rid of the box. But I wonder if we have a picture of Jesus, almost a Sunday school picture, gentle Jesus, meek and mild, baby Jesus. Or have we allowed Jesus to grow up, to come, to live on earth, to die, to rise from the dead, and then the risen, ascended Christ, the one, the cosmic Christ who fills the world, the universe, in every way. Shining forth the love and life of God. And then, finally, and more briefly for us, Paul goes on in Colossians, in verses 18 to 20, to show how Jesus not only shares the love and the life of God in creation, but also in salvation. Because when God created the world in Jesus, by him and in him, he saw that it was good. We go back to the first couple of chapters of Revelation of Genesis for that. But then also we get to Genesis chapter 3 and we see that creation turned. Creation turned its back on God and the world has never been the same since. The world since then has been torn apart. It's torn itself apart. We're at war with God. We're at war with each other. We're at war with creation, with the planet. But this very rejection of God drew forth the extreme depths of his love. And we see this clearly on the cross. On the cross, we see deeper than ever into the very being of God. Without the cross, we can never actually truly know what it means to say that God is love. It's here on the cross that Jesus shares God's love and his life with us by giving his own life away. Jesus shares God's life with us by giving his own life away. He gave his life for each one of us paid the price, stood in our place, suffered the punishment that we deserve, and he took it all to the cross. But the good news from this passage, just as if we look at the beginning uh, in verse 15, that the Son is the firstborn over all creation. If you look at verse 18, he's also the firstborn from among the dead. He rose from the grave, showing that death is not the end, that death couldn't hold on to the Son of God, that all who follow Jesus will receive new life. Jesus is the beginning, uh, and the, uh, beginning and the sustainer of the old creation, but he's also the beginning of the new creation, where God is making everything new in Christ. Jesus shows us what life can and should and will be like in all its fullness. And more than that, Jesus invites each one of us to take part in it. And this gift of a fresh start is freely offered to anyone who will trust in and follow Jesus. And in the salvation that Jesus offers, we see the very heart of God, that he so loved the world that he gave his only son, sharing his very life so that whoever believes in him will not die, but will have eternal life and will share in the love of God forever. Because salvation, it's, it's a, sometimes we talk about being saved as if it's, if it's a pure legal transaction. Jesus takes some of our sin and we get his righteousness. 
And all of that is true, but it's much more than that. Because in salvation, because of what Jesus did on the cross, he invites us into the very life of God. We're invited into the heart of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Trinity, to share in God's love and share in his life forever. What a great picture of salvation. But it's not just for individuals, is it? If we look on, in, uh, to ver- in, still in verse 18, Jesus came to call a people, the church, us, those of us who are here tonight, call a people to himself as then he's head of the church, this new community. And we're meant to show what this extravagant love of God is like to the world. Jesus is no longer with us physically, in person. But because he's with us by his spirit and we can be filled with the spirit as the spirit pours the love of Jesus into our hearts, as the spirit equips us and empowers us for ministry, then we're to show forth, as as the picture that Chris reminded us, we're to show forth the light of Christ and the love of Christ to a world that desperately needs to see light because it's walking in darkness and desperately needs to know what love is because the world is confused about where to look for love. So Jesus calls each one of us as individuals, but then calls us together as a church to show what God is like to the world. And again, in case we're in danger of our Jesus being too small, Paul goes on at the end in verse 20 to remind us that Jesus not only came to call individuals, not only did he come to call a church, a people to himself, but he came to reconcile the whole of creation whether things on earth or in heaven, all through shedding his blood, giving his very life to us on the cross. And the cross of Christ was God's yes to the world. When Jesus died on the cross, that was God saying yes to each one of us here tonight. That was God saying yes to you and God saying yes to me. It was God saying yes to the church and it was God saying yes to creation. 2,000 years ago, Jesus came to the creation that had rejected him. He came on a rescue mission to win that creation back. We had turned our backs on him, but he continued to hold out his love to us. And he still does so today. And he still does so tonight. God has said yes to you in Christ. All of God's promises to us are yes and amen in Jesus. God has said yes to you. Have you said yes to him? God has given his life for you in Jesus. Have you given yourself to him? Last week when we were uh, over in the student group, it was a griller, vicar night, lightly toast, a sigh. And we had a great time. Loads of uh, different questions came in, uh, all of them anonymous and uh, I fired a, a few of the trickier ones at Sai, and uh, it gave some great answers. We had a great time. And, and one of the questions uh, that we asked kind of st- straight up right at the beginning was, and I don't know who asked this, but the question was, what if I lost sight of God in the past? Will he still let me back in? And from tonight's passage... And from the rest of Scripture, the answer is a resounding yes. We've all turned our backs on God. We've all lost sight of God. We've all done things for which we're ashamed and wished we hadn't. 
We all carry guilt. We all carry shame. We're all caught in patterns of behavior that we want to shake off. But will God let me back in? Look to Jesus. Look to the Jesus we see in Colossians. Look to the Jesus who's the firstborn among, from among the dead. Look to the Jesus who reconciled all things, yourself included, to himself by shedding his blood on the cross. And if you haven't yet said yes to Jesus, I'd encourage you to do that tonight. And there'll be an opportunity to do that in just a minute. And if some of this is quite new to you and you you want to know a little bit more about what that means, that Jesus died for me, Jesus died to take my sin, that I can find new life in Christ, the life and the love of God that has been promised from before the creation of the world, then I'll have a few copies of Why Jesus at the end and I'd love to give a copy to any of you who want one. So Colossians, these, these few verses, six verses in Colossians, this early Christian hymn or creed, liturgy, gives us this comic vista, a cosmic vista of, uh, of Jesus. <laughs> There's some comedy in there too. But uh, let's focus on the cosmic aspect uh, to start with. This cosmic vista of Jesus, the one that uh, we worship. So if you remember nothing tonight, you can remember these Colossians. If you want a, a bit of comedy, go to Colossians. This is the one that we worship. The one he reveals to us, the very heart of God. You want to know what God is like, then look to Jesus. And uh, you could do a much worse place to start than in Colossians. It shows us the one we worship, the one who shares the abundant life of God with us in creation. He creates all things, he's before all things, in him all things hold together and he'll sum up everything at the end of time. But it also shows us the very depths of the love of God. That God loved the world so much that he gave his own life for us so that we can live life to the full. So let's fill our vision with Jesus. Let's expand our vision of Jesus. Let's keep him right at the focus of our worship. Let's go after him with all we've got. Let's taste and see that the Lord is good. Let's not sit on the sidelines wondering whether we might jump in. If you've been on the sidelines for a while wondering if God is good, who is this Jesus, then let me encourage you tonight, taste and see that the Lord is good. Dive in with both feet. Experience the love of God for you in Jesus. Be like the woman who grabbed hold of Jesus' garment. Or be like Jacob who wrestled with Jesus in the Old Testament, the angel of the Lord, and said, I will not let you go until you've blessed me. Don't stand back and wait for it to happen. Go after Jesus with all that you've got the one whom we worship. Let's pray together. And why don't we stand?